when he opens your eyes to see his beauty ningal tande manoharatham kaano to see his goodness tande mahatvam ningal valupam ningal kaano see his kindness tande valiya sanithyam ningal ariyum you will turn to him with all of your heart ningalude poorna hrudayathode ningal tannilekku thiriyuvan edayagum you will fall in love with him ningal thanumaya oru sneha bandathil erpaduvan edayagum your life will be transformed ningalude jeevitham rupaandrapadum your mind will be set free ningada manasugal swadantramagum your body will be healed ningada sharirangal saukyam prabhikum when your eyes are open to see jesus ningada kannugal thorakapadumbol idellam sambhavikum must believe that Jesus is the son of God. Yesu devaputran ennu ningal vishwasikkano. You must believe in his death on the cross. Aa Calvary crucile Yesuvinte yaga maranathil ningal vishwasikkano. You must believe in his resurrection from the dead. Aa marichuvatte idayil ninnulla uyarthelnalpine ningal vishwasikkano. had numbness in her hands both her hands the fingers for one year and now she is completely free she had pain for her in her in her shoulders but now after the prayer she has no pain at all she is totally free she was having back, severe back pain and she was suffering with that for a long time but today when the prayer was going on she felt something rolling from her leg all the way up to her top and then it was keeping on rolling up and down and now she has no pain at all one year he has been having pain in his leg he could not even stand for worship but today when the prayer was going on he felt a heat wave going through his body and he knows that the pain is completely gone the lord has healed him she felt a heat coming over her eyes and now she can see perfect very clearly she can see she had a headache for two or three years going on she felt like something uh, some something shivering in her head and now she doesn't have that headache anymore try to be very sensitive to the holy spirit tonight he is really here and the lord's been just dealing with me over there i'd like for josh reasons to come up here just for a moment 
And Joshua, what I want you to do is we'll be in the Harvest 573. This is the last sermon of concerning that series. And now we're to go out and to put it into action. We are to launch out. And, and um, we, we believe in global revival, at least I do, and, and I think that you do. I'm going to have Josh to pray over the nation of Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. I just feel a heaviness for them people. The Lord's put that on my heart here tonight. Uh, things are about to open up in the, in the Middle East. The Lord has revealed some things to me, and uh, he's had me beginning to pray over Israel because Israel's fixing to go into Jacob's trouble and these Jewish people are fixing to go back into what they, you know, some of the horrible times of their lives. And, uh, and you know, the whole world hates Israel. They hate Israel because she's the seed of the apple of God's eye. And um, I want him to come and I want him to pray over the, Joshua's a, you know, I don't think he would mind me telling you this. He's a faithful supporter financially to Israel. He's got a heart for Israel. He's been over into Israel and I, I just wanted to pick on him because I think he can pray from his heart over that nation and over the peace of Jerusalem. And as he prays, I want you to pray with him tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, Lord, these are your chosen people. For 4,000 years, God, these people have been a light unto the world. You have used them. You have utilized them to bring about your purposes on this earth. Lord, we honor them and we acknowledge them as chosen, as honored, as precious to you, God. Lord, and we know according to Scripture, there is great trouble and great calamity coming their way. The world hates them because the enemy recognizes your hand on them. Lord, and we speak peace unto Israel. We speak blessing unto Israel. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that as they enter into these last days, that, that your revealed purpose for that nation and indeed for this entire world would begin to be made manifest. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on them. God, I remember when I was there a few years ago, they said that only 7% of the nation of Israel is even considered to be religious. And of those, most of them don't even recognize you, Jesus, as King of Kings. Lord, and I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. God, that you would remove the blinders off of their eyes. That you would utilize them in this last day, God, in a mighty way that we as Christians, that we that are part of the Gentile bride, that we that are part of spiritual Israel would come alongside them and that we would hold them up in prayer and that we would hold them up in every way possible. God, that you would utilize them to, to evangelize the world, God, to use as a witnessing tool for Christ. God, and tonight as pastor comes and as he 
brings the word, and as he begins to reveal things that you have revealed to him through the scripture, I pray that our hearts and minds would be touched and pricked God and that we would be supporters of Israel, that we would be supporters of them in prayer, that we would be supporters of them, God, through temporal means. God, let... Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall in this place tonight. Holy Spirit, we have prayed so long for revival, for your Holy Spirit to fall. And God, I pray that you would just roll in this place tonight, God, in every pretense, every hidden thing, everything that gets in the way of your Holy Spirit and what you want to do through the Word tonight, God. I pray that you would begin to roll it back. God, that you would set us free to be the church and to be the people that you want us to be. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. Amen and amen. that has interpretation, move now, please. If you'll just give me a moment to try to obey the Lord. The Lord had laid something, these things on my heart setting over there. And I, I'm not trying to work anything up. I'm not trying to make anything happen. But the Lord has specifically spoken some things to me tonight. I'm going to have Brother Zach come up. And as he comes up, he's going to be praying over Marilyn Hickey. And the Pakistani people, the Muslims that we showed on the screen today. When you had a million Muslims come under the umbrella of one in one place to hear a woman at 85 years old preach the message of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, the enemy will do everything he can to try to stop that lady. And I've had a burden for her today. And I feel like the Lord wants to use this church and some intercessory right here for a moment if, before I get into the word of the Lord. Brother Zach, would you come please?
Jesus. Lord, I speak, God, over Meredith's life, Jesus. We pray, God, that she would be able to stand against every attack, Lord Jesus. Everything that comes against her, Lord. I pray, Lord, as she pours out, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to pour in, God. Lord, that you would just be a well of your spirit and power, God. I pray for the nation of Pakistan, God, that it would be shaked and rattled to continue, Lord Jesus, to see a great harvest in that whole nation, Lord God. We pray, Lord, it would be a harvest that affects the entire world, Jesus, that you would move mightily, Lord, signs and wonders, people set free, God, people delivered, Lord Jesus. We pray it be done through this woman and many others would rise up with her, God, and take their place in the kingdom, Lord, where your difference can be made, Lord God, we pray, Jesus, more anointing, God, more favor, Lord Jesus, over Maryland's life and others, Lord, that are going to that country, Lord. We pray, Lord, against every attack, Lord, that it would be defeated, Lord, because you will build your church, God. You will build your church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We speak that over her. We speak that over Pakistan in Jesus' name. Let it be done in your name, Jesus. I would like, uh, Jack, come here for a moment, please. I would like for Sister Burns to pray over the harvest in the region of Popper Bluff and for America. Uh, our nation has got to have help. The Lord's here to help us tonight. Would you take the microphone to her so she won't have to walk up here at you? so humbled by your presence. Lord, we know that this is your heart. This is your heart, Lord, to see all come into your kingdom. It is your heart, it is your will for every sinner to come to repentance, for your people to come into alignment with your will, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray over the city of Popper Bluff. Lord, you called this city before the foundations were laid, Lord. You knew this city would raise up where it's at. You knew the people that would be in this city. You knew the people in this church and every church in this city. And Lord, we just ask you to come upon every church, upon every born-again person, Lord, a burden for those that are in sin and lost and don't know you. Lord, we just ask you to move mightily we just thank you that you are moving and Lord we just look to you we look to you Lord because we know it's not by our might or it's not by our power but it is only by your spirit and may your spirit have freedom may your spirit be able to move in our midst and may your spirit be let loose in this city in this county and Lord we declare it we declare that this city will be won by, by your power Lord that it will be won for your glory for your kingdom we thank you for what you have called us to we thank you lord that you have ordained it and we just grab hold of it 
and we embrace it, Lord, and we declare it, and we thank you that you are in control. And Lord, we just give you all the honor and glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have one more tonight that the Lord laid on my heart, and then we'll move on if the Lord allows us to. I'd like for Bob Fisher to come up tonight. Very anointed prayer this morning. And I want him to pray over the brethren, our brethren, in Iran. They're dying by the hundreds being slaughtered because just for it, denouncing the Muslim Brotherhood and becoming Christians. There's great persecution in that country, and our brothers need us to pray and to intercede. And there's thousands that need to be saved, and they're under the ground trying to figure out ways to minister to the lost without being found out and being killed and silenced. While we're sitting here in ease, they're over there right now on eggshells, every single Christian in hiding, underground, and yet they feel the mandate to share their faith. And just sharing their faith with the wrong person will get them killed. And yet if they don't share their faith, no one can be saved. That's where they're at. They're stuck. And these brethren need our prayers. Brother Bob, would you come, please? Most gracious God. Father, as we come, Lord, Father, we pray for the, for the countries of Iraq and Iran and the brothers there, Lord Jesus, and the in the underground churches, Lord Jesus, that don't have the privileges that we have. Father, we can just open our Bibles and we can read, Lord. And Father, we can open our Bibles and we can, we can search out your word, Lord. But these people do not have that, Lord Jesus. But right now, Lord Jesus, Father, we, th we thank you, Lord, for the goodness, Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you for the, for the secret churches in, in Iraq and Iran and in China and all over the world, Lord, that, that, that have a burden for you, Lord Jesus. Father, they have a burden for the lost, Lord Jesus. Father, they have a burden, Lord, for the, for the things of, of your nature, Lord. Father, they are about your business. They are about your business, and your business is saving this world, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the kingdom, Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the everlasting, Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the precious blood that you shed upon Calvary's cross for us, Lord Jesus. Oh, yay. Yay, Lord. Oh, yay. We thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Father. Father, Lord, we ask you, Father, that you will just endow us with the Spirit, Lord Jesus. That you will give us a holy boldness, Lord Jesus, that those people in Iraq and Iran and, and China have, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us a boldness like that, Lord. Father, that when we see somebody in Walmart, Lord Jesus, Father, we can tell them that Jesus loves them, Lord. Father, that when we see somebody in, in Menards, Lord Jesus, we can talk to them, Lord Jesus, and we can tell them that, that Jesus died for you. Did you know that? That Jesus died for you, Lord. Thirdly, oh, 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 yeah, Lord. Mm, four, yeah, yeah, Lord. Yeah, Lord. Father, you are precious, Lord. You are precious, Lord. Father, we give you. Oh, yay, Lord. We bless you, Lord. 
We glorify your name. We glorify your name, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and amen and amen and bless you, Jesus. Won't you just lift your hand and worship the Lord a moment? Hallelujah. The burden of the Lord is upon me for the harvest. I'm telling you, it's just upon me. The souls of men and women all over this world is dying and going to hell, and we're here with the wonderful message of Jesus Christ, the liberating Messiah who comes to take away the sins and the reproach against men and women and the handwritings of ordinances that's against them and he nails them to his cross and they're free. Hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah tonight, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. How many believe that the harvest can be won? How many believe that the harvest can be won? How many believe that God's serious about the harvest? Amen. Matthew chapter 20, you can remain seated tonight. Starting with verse 1, you have heard me preach similar messages out of this scripture, but it's something the Lord has just laid on my heart and I can't get out of, away from it because this is the closing sermon on the harvest, and the Lord may lead us to still preach on harvest before as the series, we're ending it tonight, before as the preaching about it, and the commission that we'll be preaching about salvation, different things, because when people come in, they need to hear the message of the cross. They got to hear the message of Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. The key word there is labors. And when he had agreed with the labors for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went about the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and, and, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, why stand ye here idle all the day? And they said it because no man is hardest hired us, and he said unto them, Go ye also to the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. And then the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You've heard this scripture many, many times. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. A lot of preaching in this passage of scripture, but I'm going to try to, uh, try to get through it and, and try to get to what the Lord wants us to do tonight. Okay. Father, had your blessing to your word, I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. Tonight, I want to cut through the chase, and I want to preach to you concerning the prophetic message that we see revealed within this scripture. Some of you have heard the prophetic message because I have preached similar things of this nature. But I want you to know many do not even recognize nor see that this story of the parable of the penny is of a prophetic nature. And it has something to reveal to us about the last days that is happening right here before us. 
We see in these scriptures that there are four different set times that the master of the vineyard goes out to the marketplace to find laborers to go out into his field. The owner of the household represents God the Father. The master of the vineyard represents Jesus Christ. The marketplace represents the church. And we see that the vineyard represents the fields or the harvest. It is the place of fruitfulness. And we see that these these representations do not violate scripture, nor do they manipulate the meaning of the story that I have just presented to you because we know this by previous examples and the different different definitions used to describe similar cases within scripture. For example, in Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 6 through 9, there's a parable where a landowner had a tree planted within his vineyard. The Bible says that he came to seek fruit off of that tree and he found none. And then he says to the vineyard keeper, or the, the, he, the Bible calls it the dresser of the vineyard, he says to him, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this tree, but I don't find any. He tells the vineyard keeper, cut it down. Why cumbereth? Why keep taking care of it? Cut it down to the ground. And then said the dresser of the vineyard back to the the the, the, uh, the uh, husbandman of the uh, of the of garden. He says, let, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after the year, you can cut it down. And we all know that this is a beautiful picture of God the Father Father in Jesus Christ working on, on behalf of the life of Israel. The owner of the vineyard was God the Father. How many knows that God owns the vineyard? He owns the field. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms 24 and 1 that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and all of they that dwell therein. Did you know that everybody that dwells on the face of the earth belongs to God? Because it is God who is our creator. God, we didn't evolve out of a mass. We didn't come from evolution. We didn't come from monkeys or animal life. I want you to understand that God is the creator of all beings. He is the owner of his field. The dresser of the vineyard, the caretaker was Jesus Christ. The fig tree, of course, we know in scripture is Israel. And here we see Christ, the great intercessor, the interceder that just keeps coming up in every message it seems like. He is interceding over Israel. He asks just for one more year of caretaking and grace to be extended to Israel before judgment is given due to their lack of fruitfulness. And is it that like Jesus Christ interceding for you and I? When we are unfruitful and we are unworthy, Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding that grace may be extended to you and I as well. What a wonderful picture of an intercessor. And here we see that God the Father for three years was patient with Israel due to their doubt, their unbelief, their rejection, and their lack of fruitfulness. And we see that they rejected Jesus' ministry. And we know that Jesus' ministry was how many years? It was three years. He started by the, by the law at age 30, and he was done at the age of 33. He died on the cross at the age of 33. He was cut down like a tender plant, according to Isaiah. He was cut down in his young years, at the most, uh, at the most uh, profitable years of one's life. As a young man, Jesus died in our place. And he came into his own, Jesus did, but his own received him not, talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people would not recognize him as Messiah. However, God, after the three years of ministry gave them one more year but they were soon cut off in the, and the Gentile church was grafted in due to Israel's barrenness. And in our text we see that the husbandman or the householder in this scripture comes to the marketplace and search for laborers to go out into the vineyard. The marketplace was not only the place where the fruit was brought in to sell but it was also the place where men were hired and, the, and, and, and we know that laborers in the scripture 
scripture represents the church. So we understand that here in the context of this parable that laborers would go to the marketplace and stand there until somebody would come by and offer them wages to go work in their fields. And the marketplace also represents the place of fruit and productivity. The church is the marketplace. The church is to be fruitful and it's to multiply. And the problem that the householder finds is that the laborers were standing idle and no one has gone out in the vineyard or the fields to work in the harvest. Can you see that? What was it that Jesus said? And I said I would be repetitious in this in this series. In John 4 and 35, he says, Say ye not that there are four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white, ready to harvest. I'm not going to stay here long, but let me remind you I, that like I have multiple times before, as a whole, the majority of the church world is not engaged in the harvest, but they're congregated in the marketplace, the church. I can give you statistics concerning conversions in the United States over the last 20 years, and we are to be embarrassed as the people of God. There has been a great amount of lost harvest on our watch. Conversions are down. Record number of churches are closing, and mass number of people are dying without Jesus Christ because there's no one out of the harvest trying to reap them. America has become the third largest mission field in the world, and we were, we were a nation at one time that sent more missionaries around the world than any other nation, and now parts of the world are sending missionaries to America to win our Americans to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? I'm not here to browbeat. I'm not trying to motivate you through shame, nor am I trying to invoke, uh, motivate you through embarrassment, and neither am I trying to stir your emotions to motivate you to get you into the harvest. I have come to realize that a pastor, that if, I, that if fear or manipulation or guilt or any other emotion is your motivating factor for going into the harvest and try to win them, it'll be very, very short-lived. The only thing that is going to get us harvest-minded is not for us to be manipulated or browbeated, but the only thing that is going to cause us to get in the harvest and to get harvest-minded is for us to receive the very heart of God. The lack of harvest is nothing more than an indication of an unyielded heart to God. It is plain and simple. The harvest will never happen until our heart becomes his heart. How many believes that? Amen? Jesus made it very clear that it's not a harvest problem, that the harvest is ripe, it's ready to be harvested. But the problem is there's not enough laborers in the field. They're all bunched up, and they're at the marketplace, congregated, meeting with one another. Jesus mentions four specific hours that the landowner visit the labor force or the marketplace for the sake of the vineyard. The third, the sixth, and the eleventh hour. And every time, not some of the time, but 100% of the time, every time the labor were sent into the harvest after he visited the, the marketplace. There was a move, there was an experience that motivated the people to go out and to work in the vineyard. I still believe that the Holy Ghost filled baptism believers full of the fire of God will be servants in the harvest. How many believe that? The answer to the labor problem is that we need a refreshing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. We need God to come down and to refresh us in the Holy Ghost. Ghost, because the Holy Ghost brings the desire of God, the will of God, the heart of God, and he places it within us and creates a heart in us that's just like God. 
Can I have an amen? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Bible tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that imparts energy and strength and power to the life of the believer. This power is to be used, however, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And the barrenness of the church a lot of times is caused by people getting hooked on the feelings of the Holy Spirit blessings without being obedient to the reason and the purpose of the outpouring of the Spirit. And even though it's God's good pleasure to give us times of refreshing, times of uplifting, times of edification, times of exhortation, times of encouragement, and just plain old plenty cost of blessings, how many knows that God loves doing that? How many of you love to bless your children? How much more will your Heavenly Father give the good things to them that ask? And yet, if the church gets hooked on these feelings, the emotional side of it and not the spiritual side of it and see the harvest, then those blessings will lift and the church will dry up. God will quit giving things to us if we're going to consume it for ourselves and not use it for the purpose of God. If God can get it through you, he will get it to you. How many believe that? But God cannot and he will not fill fat, satisfied, filled vessels that has never poured themselves out. The more you pour out of yourself, the more that God can put back in you. The more we allow God to use us, and tr- the more he will trust us with. Emptiness is the gateway to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The first time that the landowner came to the visit the marketplace was the third hour of the day. Jesus prophesied in this parable that there would be a divine visitation at the third hour of the day upon the church. This third hour represents a specific time and a, in a specific dispensation. The fulfillment of this prophecy is found in Acts 2 and 15 when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he said, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is the only the third hour of the day. This third hour outpouring in scripture was what we call or known as the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost. And this is why the Acts 2 and 1 starts out by saying, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Pentecost started a long time ago, folks. It was celebrated in the Feast of Tabernacles and throughout the Old Testament there were foreshadows of this coming of Pentecost. We see it in Numbers chapter 11. The 70 elders of Moses, they begin to prophesy. God took, according to the word of God, of the spirit of Moses, he gave it to the 70 elders and they all prophesied and they did not cease. In Isaiah 28 11, we see another foreshadowing. With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto this people. God spoke of a day that he would literally come down upon a congregation and with stammering lips and another tongue in tongues that they would speak. Ezekiel foretold of a day when the law of God would be upon the tables of men's heart and not merely written upon stone. This spoke of the teaching and the guidance of the Holy Spirit because how many of you know, according to the book of Hebrews and Romans both, that the word of God, the the laws of God, the commandments of God are written on our heart not with thee but by the Spirit and the finger of God. So we see that there were always foreshadowings. Jesus on the great day of the feast gave one of the last overshadowings that there was that there was. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, 
If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. But this spake he of the Spirit, which when they believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus prophesied here of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that there would be a third hour visitation. This is why he says to his disciples after his resurrection in John 20, starting with verse 21, peace be unto you as my father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And this is why he also gave the commandment in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith that you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from hence. I like what Luke 24, 49 says. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus knew of this third hour visitation that was coming, and he positioned his disciples to where they could receive him. Look with me at the third hour visitation and see its results. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. But when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothed in tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. This was the day that Pentecost had fully come. And then we see after that that the 120 that were filled with the Spirit, that they left the upper room, they took to the streets, which is representing and symbolic of the harvest. And the Bible says that the people were confounded because every man heard them speak in their own language and heard them speaking in tongues. And the Bible says that the people were amazed and marveled and said, the wonderful works of God. Yet others mocked and said, these men be drunken. And they actually accused the people in the upper room of being drunk. But it was Peter that said, standing up with eleven, lifting his voice, and he said, ye men of Judea and all of you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. I want you to know the Holy Spirit fell on the third hour of the day, just like he prophesied it would in our scripture text. This was the third hour of visitation at the marketplace that Jesus prophesied about. This was the time that he visited his church with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter goes on and says, and this is that which the prophet Joe spoke about, that in the last day saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my handmaids and upon my servants I will pour out of my spirit. Now the outpouring came in the third hour of the day and these same people that stood idle in the marketplace took to the streets and on that first day one man, Peter, preaches and 3,000 souls were harvested for the glory of God. Give the Lord praise for that. Don't be dead on me here tonight. Acts 2 and 41 says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people in one day after they commit their life to Jesus Christ? 
the same timid idle souls that prior to the upper room experienced, they forsook Jesus and fled. Peter even denied who Jesus was. Yet after the third hour of visitation, they stood in the face of those that they feared and forsook, and they re- preached the gospel, and they reached the harvest. It is estimated by Acts chapter 8 that over 50,000 people were filled with the Spirit of God alone, not counting thousands upon thousands and thousands of conversions. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Bible just literally says, first of all, on the day of Pentecost, one man's preaching, 3,000. The next scripture that we see in Acts 2 and 47, every day there were people added to the church. Every single day, somebody was getting saved. Look what it says in Acts chapter 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. 5,000 men get saved in Acts chapter 4 alone. By Acts chapter 5, the number of converts got so large that they couldn't even put a number to it. Look what it says in Acts chapter 5 verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both men and women. They have went from 120 on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were saved on that day. They, they went from 120 to 3,120. Then they went from 3,120 to 8,120 by Acts chapter 4 because another 5,000 gets saved. But now the number in Acts chapter 5 is that they say, well, it's just multitudes. They don't even give you a number. Then look what it says in Acts chapter 6 verse 7. And the word of God increased. Now we're in chapter 6. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. By Acts chapter 6 they quit the addition process of the believers and begin to use multiplication in order to count the masses of conversion. They said that the disciples were multiplied. Wouldn't you like to see a multiplication take place right here at the Palace of Praise? If you believe that can happen, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Do you really believe it? Finally, let's look what, what they, how they explain the conversions in Acts by the time they get to Acts chapter 11. All of this is because of a third hour of visitation. Acts chapter 11, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of believed and turned to the Lord. The only way that they could explain the converts in Acts chapter 11 was a great number. The number was so big that they couldn't even estimate it or put a number to it. By Acts chapter 17, it said this. Finally, they just said, all we know is that these men who were in that upper room, they have turned the world upside down. Amen. This is what the result of the third hour of visitation was about. This is what kind of a difference that the Holy Spirit will make in the labors going out into the harvest. At the next time Jesus said the Holy Spirit would visit us, we'll be at the sixth hour. Say the sixth hour. Sixth hour. Ninth hour is coming, but six hours at hand. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus bringing salvation to what kind of a woman? A Samaritan woman. Put that in your mind. We're at at the well of Jacob. Verse 6 says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat down on the well, and it was about the what? Sixth hour. And during the process of this conversation, the woman says to Jesus, Hey, I, I perceive you're a prophet. And Jesus says, Okay, since you perceive that I'm a prophet, I'm going to do some prophesying to you. And Jesus begins to talk to her, and through that message, he prophesies to this little woman. She went on to say in verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place that men are to worship. 
And Jesus then begins to say, okay, if you want to really learn, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to prophesy to you. And the prophecy took place at the sixth hour. And listen to the prophecy in verses 21 through 24. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh. Say the hour cometh. Do you believe that the hour came? Yes, it's going to come here in a minute. Say the hour cometh. When you shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you don't know what, but we know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh. See, the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. This is what he told her. Now, Jesus prophesies to this woman of an hour that was coming, which was referring to a Holy Spirit visitation, and where men were no longer going to be worshiping God in certain places, but they were going to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Amen? There was going to be a change of venue. No longer would God be worshipped from location, but rather he would be worshipped by connection, spiritual connection, relationship. This sixth hour visitation was promised to who? A Samaritan woman who was a part of a half-breed nation. The Samaritan had the same original, the Samaritans had the same original father, which was from the seed of Abraham, but they shared different mothers whose seed originated with the Assyrians. So the Samaritans were an outcast both by Jews and both by Gentiles because they were considered what we would say half-breeds. They were neither Jew nor they were Gentile. But Jesus looked at the woman and said, but woman, the hour's going to come. In other words, there's going to come an hour when you're no longer looked down upon. There's going to come a day when you're not going to be considered different. There's going to be a prophetic hour that Jesus promises that would happen and he promised it. It's going to happen at the sixth hour. And Jesus tells her the sixth hour visitation is going to break down racial walls. It's going to bring you into a spiritual dimension that you've never been in before. You're going to be accepted by the body of Christ and you're going to be birthed into the kingdom of God even though you are a Samaritan. Amen? The sixth hour visitation happened in Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to the city of what? Samaria. And he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the things that he done. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voices, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with a palsy, and those that were lame were healed. And there was great joy throughout that city. Then verse 14 and 15 says, Now when the apostles were to Jerusalem, who are the apostles? These are the ones that got filled in the third hour. When they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Why? who when they were come down, sent them so that when they came down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Then they laid hands on them, the Samaritans, and they received the Holy Spirit. The sixth hour came just like Jesus promised that it would. The landowner visited the vineyard at Samaria and saints were equipped with a harvest. Samaria was no longer the outcast. They were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and even the very own apostles accepted them. Amen. Give the Lord praise. That's a miracle. The third hour visitation that Jesus, the third, third visitation that Jesus spoke about would come at the ninth hour. Listen to Acts chapter 10 verse 1 through 3. There was a certain man of Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. 
a devout man, one that feared God with all of his house, which gave alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, thy prayer has been heard. Go to Joppa and call for a man by the name of Peter. Cornelius goes down to Joppa just like, the, just like he was told, and he finds Peter. Now, prior to Peter, prior, Peter, prior to this man's coming, went up on top of a rooftop to pray, and the Bible says as he went up there, it was about the sixth hour. And he falls into a trance, and he sees a vision. And God showed him all kinds of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and the fowls of the air. And then God says to Peter, rise, kill, dress, and eat. These things, of course, were forbidden by Jewish law. He wasn't by law able to eat them. And Peter answers him and says, not so, Lord, for I have neither eaten anything that is common or unclean. And Jesus responds and says, what I have cleansed, call thou not uncommon. And this thing happened three different times. God said, rise and kill and eat. And Peter, no, I can't. And again, rise, kill and eat. I know I can't. And Jesus finally says, Peter, I'm telling you, whatever I have cleansed, don't call uncommon. The Bible says that when Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, behold, there are three men that seek you. Arise, therefore, get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. These people that had came knocking on uh, Peter's door were Gentiles, folks. And in the Jewish eyes and belief, they were unclean and they were not considered fit for salvation. And that's what the vision was all about. It prepared Peter to be able to accept these Gentiles so that they could be saved. Peter's sixth hour touch caused him to be able to bring a ninth hour touch to the house of Cornelius. Peter had a third hour touch, a sixth hour touch. Now he is received, about to receive a ninth hour touch. Those of us that's been filled with the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, we need to always remember that we need those times of refreshing from the presence of God. You never get a one-time fix that gets you all the way through. We need a continual outpouring of the Spirit on our lives. We need those hours of visitation where he revisits us and refreshes us. Wasn't the presence of God so rich just a while ago? Can I have an amen? Peter goes home with Cornelius, and he preaches to them, and the Bible says, listen in Acts 8, 44 through 46, and while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcised which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues, and they magnified God. When did that happen? It happened when Cornelius was praying at the ninth hour. This was the ninth hour of the visitation. The next visitation that Jesus said the landowner would come would be at the eleventh hour. In the parable of the ten virgins, the return of Jesus Christ is noted to be the midnight hour, is it not? The eleventh hour is right before the twelfth hour, which means the eleventh hour is promised to us today because Jesus has not come back yet. And I want to tell you, the eleventh hour is the last day hour, and Jesus has promised us a last day outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Joe said that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Joe, Hosea, Jeremiah, all prophesied about the former rain and the latter rain. The former rain in Palestine represented the spring rains in which it prepared for the planting of the harvest. The latter rains was for the preparing for the seed for the harvest. The third out, hour outpouring was the start of the planting of the church. How many of you knows when the Holy Spirit fell, that was the beginning of the New Testament church? 
That was the planning of the church, that third hour visitation. The sixth and the ninth hour was for the refreshing of that church, but the eleventh outpouring is for the reaping of the marvelous harvest. We are in the eleventh hour, which is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost for the purpose of the harvest, folks. There is a fresh move of God coming our way. I want to tell you, it's going to sweep through this world for this last day visitation of the Spirit to reap a last day harvest. And God's getting us ready to reap one of the greatest harvests that you and I will ever experience. The latter move will be greater than the former move. You remember the thousands of people that were saved on the third hour of the day? Get ready. You haven't seen nothing yet because there's an 11th hour visitation coming for the sole purpose of an end time revival to usher in the presence of God. Hallelujah. You know, one of the things I want you to see is in Acts 1 and 8. Listen to me. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses where? In Jerusalem. That's the third hour of visitation. That's where it happened, in Jerusalem. Judea, the ninth hour of visitation at Caesarea, Cornelius' house. That's when it happened, at the ninth hour. Samaria, the sixth hour of visitation to the Samaritan woman. It happened in Acts chapter 8. Now look what it says in the eleventh hour of visitation. It's to the uttermost parts of the earth. Not just, to, not just to a certain place, not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just Samaria, but God has promised that there's going to be a global, worldwide revival that's going to take place. Never in the history of our world have we ever seen that. There's been revivals in America, there's been revivals in India, there's been revivals in Africa, there's been revivals all over, but never has there been a ushering of a, a revival to where it all hits planet Earth at the very same time. It's coming. Now, how many believe it's coming? The problem of it is that's our problem. We believe it is coming. I'm telling you, it's here. It's here. If you don't believe me, it's here. Just keep watching all of the different things that's going on around the world in these third world countries. Thousands, masses of people are giving their life to Jesus Christ every single day. The fastest growing church like I preached this morning is in Iran. Did you know China is having people saved by the multiple millions? Hello? India. All over, these are Muslim, Hindu nations, and yet they're having more converts than we who are considered to be the Bible belt of the world. Why? Because we need a refreshing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need God to come down and write our chain and show us what's wrong within ourselves. Because the very thing that he's doing around the world, he desires to wants to do it right here, right now, not tomorrow. We keep preaching about it in a future tense. God wants it to start happening right now, right here, this very moment, this very night. God wants to set a blaze in the heart, a blaze, a fire in the hearts of men and women all over this building tonight. Would you stand with me, please? You know what I'm going to ask you to do tonight? I want to ask you to just come and seek for the Holy Spirit and say, Father. Would you just put a fire in me to win a harvest? I want you to ask for a refreshing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and say, I'm not going to use that just for selfish motives. But God, I don't want just the thrill of it and the entertaining presence of it. I love to feel the presence of God. But I will, when you feel me, I will go out and I will spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask the church, would you come up around these altars and would you seek for the Spirit of God to renew you tonight? I believe that he wants to do that here tonight. I, 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 and right now there, there's a spirit. You've got to press. 
you got to push here tonight. It's been a push to deliver the message tonight. But you got to press. you got to push. It's the will of God that no man would be lost, but all would come to repentance and be saved. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Say, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. God, teach me how to win people to the Lord. Give me a heart desire to be a servant of the Most High God, to reach people for the lost in these last days. Put my heart a flame of fire for the harvest, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, hallelujah.